Today we're doing something fun and a little different. We have Gabrielle McCormick back on our podcast. She is the founder, CEO, and CTO of Scholarship Informer. And last time she was on, she talked to us a bit about how bringing scholarships to students in a more structured and preemptive way will get people more involved in their scholarship process and will get people more access to their money. But now we're kind of throwing it back a bit. We're doing a TBT, a Throwback Thursday podcast. Gabrielle, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me back on. Yeah, it's exciting to talk to you again. You know, since we last talked, I'm now officially graduated out of college. Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's some exciting stuff. And yeah, just integrating myself into the education technology world. And, you know, with it, I've been having to not only look forward into what's to come, but also look backwards a little bit. And I'm sure you have to do a lot of the same uh, with your company and sort of, you know, learn from past things that you've had to do. Exactly. You know, I was actually reading an article prior to our our interview today, and it was talking about how 10 years ago, the student loan debt ratio per se, it was at 600 billion. Now, recently, it has hit 1.5 trillion, and that's just within 10 years. And I think that some of that also, you know, we have to look at technology and how that has cause college costs to rise. So I'm really excited about today's conversation because I think that there's a lot in us looking backwards to be able to look forward to make some better predictions. Let's just go ahead and start with your Throwback Thursday memory. You know, what do you want to chat about today? So one of the things when when this question was first posed to me, you know, what was I working on a few years back? And I thought about just teaching and the different types of modalities and learning platforms that we used to see out there and how much they have evolved. So I remember being an undergrad student, but, you know, I told myself basically, you know what? Let's try to figure out how can you help people start to win scholarships. But I didn't have a lot of money. You know, I had my education paid for, had my car paid for. But as far as like disposable income, I didn't have a lot of that to really be able to build anything that I thought would meet all of the needs of my students and families. And so I spent a lot of time doing just a lot of research on what was available, you know, some of the open source software and coding. And so it's come I've come a long way, to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. So some of these open source softwares that you're talking about, is this stuff like Google Classroom and Edmodo? Right. And at the time, they really wanted people to use their platforms in a more educational space, such as you actually being a teacher within a school district or a university. And so it wasn't intended for the, I'd say, solopreneur or the individual that just wanted to be able to package their information in a way that someone could go in and consume it and really learn it as opposed to looking like a piecemeal, you know, project that a middle schooler put together. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I guess there wasn't a lot out there for someone to create an educational but, you know, still really professional looking product. Like you said, it would probably end up looking more like a Prezi or something. So, yeah, I mean, what was that like having to teach yourself all this coding and having to almost change the platform that you're working with to fit your needs? 
it was frustrating because every time I would think that I had found the right platform, I would get to a part of my overall plan in wanting to incorporate certain features and I wouldn't be able to do it with that software. And even if I looked to see if there was a software somewhere else that I could incorporate, it just didn't look right. It didn't have that professional touch. It didn't seem like something I should be charging anyone to use or access. And so it was always like I would get far, I'd do all this work, and then the work would basically be wasted. I wouldn't be able to use it because with each one of those platforms, they have so many different, I guess you could say, buttons and features, and you just had to learn their system. It wasn't as though you could use those skills and copy and paste what you did in one platform and move it to another. Maybe with some of the wording, but you still had to make sure that it was coded properly, that the fonts looked right, that the colors were right, and all of these other nuances. And so I wasted a lot of time, but I had time to waste because I didn't have the money to spend. So what were some of those specific aspects of, I guess, like the beta version of Scholarship Informer before it was Scholarship Informer? What were some of those aspects that you were trying to integrate into these open source softwares um, that were tough to integrate with their model? So one thing that was really important to me was being able to create something where students and their parents had access to the same information for that one person or that one student. And so it was almost like everything that was out there, any content that was created or any user account that was created, I could not link it to that one student. And so I really struggled with that because I felt like I'm going to be forcing my families to do double work when if it just had one user, we'll say family or unit where everyone within that particular family or attribute was able to see that information, you know, that was a lot of work. I didn't have a community aspect. I had to go to other software that I had found and see if I could create a free community somewhere because I didn't, I knew that not everyone was on Facebook. You know, my mom just got on Facebook for Christmas. And so I knew that there were other people out there like her that may not want to be on social media. So I couldn't build my community on that platform. And then something else that always concerned me was, I don't actually own this. Something could happen. They could shut it down. Maybe my account is suspended. And then I don't have any information. I don't have any records. I don't have my content because it wasn't housed on my server. So I had to deal with a lot of trial and error. And like I said earlier, just getting to a point within each software platform and seeing, is this enough where I can still be professional? where I can still help a lot of people and where it works long enough for me to be able to save up the money I needed to invest in tools for my own server. Yeah, I think that integration is what I've noticed has changed in the past few years and has really become way more streamlined. You had to have one software for the actual content and you have to have another software to communicate with people and then another one just to create the community. And then, it, yeah, it's just, it was a lot. And so I'm thankful for Zapier. I mean, that's like one of my favorite tools today um, because I still piece things together because really the system I was trying to build even as late as last year, it's still, there were still components out there that it really wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be, but it was good enough to gain at least enough traction to, to get that national media exposure. So I felt like I did something right there, but I still know in my head, you know, sometimes we're ahead of what technology offers us. And so you, you may not have a choice, but to use tools like Zapier or any other integration software where you like certain features that one tool provides and using that third party system or service to then be able to really build what you need for it to function on the back end, but to still have 
that clean polish on the front end. And so I think that, as you said, integration has come a long way in us being able to, as creators, content creators, and individuals in technology, to really be able to flush out that system to meet the needs that we have today, but to not be always, you know, just completely embarrassed of what we're putting out there for the world to judge. (laughs) Right. And I mean, I still appreciate the fact that you know, you weren't impeded by these roadblocks. I mean, for me as a creative, but just for anyone that has a project in mind, there's that wall of, well, I have an idea of what I want my final product to be, but I know I don't have the resources right now to make it look that way. And it's not feeling discouraged about putting something out that is a little inferior to what you want, but learning from it and knowing that, okay, the next patch or the next version of this is going to look better. It's going to feel better. I had to let myself off of the hook because I'm a recovering perfectionist and I'm okay to admit that. And and I had to get to the point where I let myself off the hook to know that no one is in my head to know what my ultimate vision is of what I'm creating. And that's okay. But I also had to think about a lot of these, the people that I'm serving, they just care about the content. They don't necessarily care what it looks like because if that were the case, we wouldn't have people on YouTube learning how to, you know, repipe their house or to put down a wooden floor or to teach themselves how, how to do math or geometry. We wouldn't have that issue. People care about the content and the change that it's creating. And once I got focused on that, as opposed to really just caring about how much, how pretty it had to be, I really made that shift and was able to get things out faster because I wasted a lot of time, a lot of time. But I'm thankful for that experience because I know that it gave me exposure to what was possible or what is possible. And so I think that was the biggest thing is, you know, sometimes you just have to let yourself off the hook. Yeah, I agree. So since then, what has changed? You know, what technology did you end up finding that helped you integrate all your different aspects together and that just helped make it look professional, you know, gave it that edge that you were imagining. Our site is built on WordPress because A, it was easy for me to learn. And it also, they had enough plugins. I was able to, by that point, have enough income to be able to outsource some of the more difficult coding or some of the more difficult things that I was trying to accomplish, like our scholarship database and being able to allow that to automatically delete scholarships. That way I wasn't having to go in and touch all of these different things and mess things up. And so I outsourced a little bit of it to some developers overseas. And then we built the pages from a template that they constructed and then essentially we put it out there and I think that at that point I had to know and and really had to come to terms with done is better than continuing to tell people it's coming it's coming it's coming I mean my team jokes about it now and they say you know for about six months you told us every week we were going to launch (laughs) and I think when your team is honest with you about that you get to the point where you just know it's got to get out there so we're built on WordPress and then we have certain tools such as intercom to be able to chat with our clients but also to be able to chat with people that just have a question and essentially you know Zapier is what is our glue. They hold us together by implementing a lot of different things, such as our email marketing service, um, because we do use ConvertKit and other tools that allow Scholarship Informer to run on a small team, because we're doing the work of a lot of people, but a lot of that is coming from automation and integration. So it still sounds like you have a lot of softwares and a lot of platforms that you're working with to make the dream happen. Um, Are they just easier to communicate between and easier to get your data from now compared to when you first started? 
I think that what we're able to do now is we're able to have better metrics. We're able to see what are people watching? How long are they watching? What types of questions are they asking? But also it helps us to plan better on a more management side, because now I know when our busiest or peak times are throughout the day, throughout the week, and just different blocks so that I can better schedule the help and assistance that we need to have the team on the site answering questions. And so I think that some of it is a matter of the technology is integrating and and there are more things that are just built into the initial or the foundational elements of what we need now. So I think that's what is allowing us to to do the work of, you know, 20, 30, 40 people with a very small team. I love it. I mean, just that integration and the connectivity and the ease of access, it's making those small teams have that breath of fresh air and feel like, okay, this is doable. You know, I don't need to have a 50, 100 person team. Like I can accomplish this with my dedicated team of 10, five people. You know, it's it's an exciting time for sure. Exactly. And I think it's one of those things where it can still be affordable. I mean, you can get a lot in some softwares out of 20 bucks a month. And if you're getting that return on not only, you know, revenue, if you are a company out there that's listening, you're getting that return on revenue, but you're also getting that return on the reach. And I think that that's what's important, especially if we're talking about education, we're out here to change the world and to make a difference and to impact the lives of of generations. This is legacy building work that we're doing. And so I think that by paying $20 here or, you know, 50 bucks here a month for certain softwares by looking at that ROI, not just monetarily, but also the impact, then I think that we're able to reach more people and not be so afraid to say, we can take on this project or this contract with only having, like you said, five or 10 people, because we've only got about seven people on our team. Like I said, we're doing the work of a lot of people because of the automation, the integration, and really the types of tools that are now being built or the types of up upgrades or patches that are coming with the software that we're already using that allow us to become even better. Absolutely. It's it's a good time. It's a really good time to be an entrepreneur, to be a creative, to get out there and do your thing. You know, looking back a little bit, reflecting even more, you know, giving that broad final stroke over the memory, what was your favorite thing about being in that headspace, in that place in your life? And what do you think you learned from that experience? I think I learned how to problem solve a lot better. And when you are trying to bootstrap something and you are so dedicated and committed to your dream and you begin to just develop this no matter what attitude. So even when I would come up to those roadblocks, I would say, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to figure out how to make this work. I'm going to look and see, is there something from another industry that I can use and incorporate it? I know on our last podcast um, together, I talked about how we looked at the Weight Watchers model and incorporated some of their philosophies and ideas about business into what we're doing in education and higher education. And so I would just look at different industries. And I think that it allowed me to develop and synthesize information better where I can, no matter what you throw at me, I can figure out now, okay, this is how we can make this work together or take these ideas and principles from this place and apply it here because it's innovative here. It's not a new idea, but it creates a new niche or a new, I would say, market or subset within the industry that gives it that fresh spin and gives it that touch. And so I think problem solving and just being able to look in one industry and take that information and apply it to where I was has been able to allow us to stand out. So although it was frustrating, very frustrating at times, 
I remember just slamming my laptop down and walking away and saying, I'm just going to figure this out tomorrow. But at the end of the day, I know that it really prepared me to be where I am today as we take on larger projects and there is more money at stake and more impact at stake because we're reaching more people. You know, things have to work at a certain level. And so I think that it just gave me that confidence to know whatever barrier I'm going to come up against, there is a solution out there. I just have to figure out how did I make this work 10 years ago, five years ago? How can I make this work today? I mean, yeah, I think it's all a mindset thing. And I appreciate that you have that mindset because that's really what helps propel people to find that innovation, to find that next thing. It's an exciting time, like I said, to to be an innovator and to have that mindset. So props to you for sticking through it. Thank you. It definitely, it's exciting. We're going to continue to see changes and, you know, we may be doing another throwback Thursday uh, next year sometime. And I'm sure that there will be shifts that have happened because technology is just changing. Every week we look up, there's something new. It's just amazing how, how much opportunity we now have compared to just even last year. Thanks again for coming on the podcast and doing this TBT with us, this throwback Thursday. Hope you enjoyed yourself and yeah. I look forward to having you back on for another one. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thanks for listening to today's TBT podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous throwbacks, you can head to our website at marketscale.com industries and subscribe to your favorite articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time. Mm-hmm.